Good evening and welcome again to our worship. We're glad that you're, that you're here tonight. We're very thankful for this opportunity that we have to worship God. We are going to be looking at the book of Haggai chapter 2. And in our lesson tonight, we want to talk about overcoming discouragement, particularly as it relates to the work of the church. It's easy for us to sometimes get discouraged in our work for the Lord. In Haggai's day, God's people had become discouraged. And as a result of their discouragement, they had grown apathetic. They had laid the foundation of the temple, they began work, and then for some 16 years, the temple remained unfinished. And so Haggai and Zechariah were called upon by God to stir up the people, to encourage them to get back to work. Sometimes we need to be encouraged to get back to work. Sometimes when we're working and laboring and doing all that we can, we become discouraged. And so we need that extra push. And so tonight I want us to look at Haggai chapter 2, the passage that was read a moment ago by Cameron. I want to begin our study tonight by talking about, first of all, that in the eyes of the people there was a pessimistic comparison. The comparison, obviously, was to the former temple. And so the problem in looking at the mindset of the people, they were caught looking back. Nothing wrong with looking back and reflecting back on the past. Someone has said one time or on occasion that nostalgia is never quite honest. I think sometimes the devil uses discouragement to dampen our enthusiasm for the cause of Christ, to derail our efforts. We're involved in the work of the church, and the devil can use discouragement to derail us in the greatest work known to man. I mention the discouragement of the people and the comparison that they made. In verse 3, listen if you would to what is recorded. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? If you go back and look at chapter 3 of the book of Ezra, Ezra talks about the sentiments of the older people that had seen the former temple in all of its glory. Some estimate that the Temple of Solomon was erected at a cost of some three to five billion dollars. Unbelievable. And so no doubt it was a magnificent structure, a glorious structure. And so when the foundation was laid for this temple, the Bible says that those older people that had seen the, the former temple in all of its glory, they wept. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that the devil will use discouragement to derail us in our efforts for the cause of Christ. If we're not careful, we can echo sentiments like our best days are behind us. It's easy to make that statement. We look at the past and we think about 
the glory days of the church. And sometimes people talk about how the church was the fastest growing institution in the 50s and 60s. And so they want to know what's happened. Why aren't we growing today? And then there are those that will say, you know, people just aren't interested in the Bible. They're not concerned about spiritual things. They don't care what God has to say in his word. And I would grant that times are different. People are different. But in one respect, people still have the same basic need, don't they? There's still a void or vacuum in the hearts of people that can only be filled by Almighty God. That's why Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, in verse 13, Fear God, keep His commandments. For this is man's all. That's really the summation of life. And then there are those that will say, you know, nobody cares. Sometimes we talk about members of the church. And I will grant that there are people in the church that have a lackadaisical, apathetic, lethargic attitude. And that ought to change. It needs to change. But just because some don't care doesn't mean that there are not a lot of good-hearted, God-fearing people within the body of Christ that do care. There are a lot of people in the church that care about the cause They're interested in the cause and they're doing everything within their power to see the church go forward. And so we take our hats off to those people. You remember Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 is used as an example by the Hebrew writer. The Hebrew people, some of those people were going back to Judaism. Some were on the verge of lapsing back to the law of Moses. And so the Hebrew writer stresses the superiority of the law of Christ to the law of Moses. And the bottom line is, why would you want to go back to an inferior system? And so in chapter 12, he reminds them of those great men and women of God spoken of in chapter 11. That great cloud of witnesses. And then he calls to mind Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then he said, consider him that endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become discouraged and weary in your souls. I have no doubt that the people in the days of Haggai had become discouraged. And I know that sometimes in the church today we become discouraged. And as I mentioned a moment ago, that is a tremendous tool used by the devil. If he can discourage you to the point where you just throw up your hands and give up, then guess what? He wins. So we have to be encouraged to look at the great example of Jesus. I would suggest that sometimes when we are in the valley of discouragement, that we fail to see the possibilities of a glorious future. Take, for example, the people in Haggai's day. They were looking at they, they were looking at the present in comparison to the past. And yet down in verse 9, listen to what Haggai said. The glory of this latter temple 
shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. They're thinking about that physical structure. And God is pointing down the years in time and seeing the day when the Messiah would come and the temple of God, the church, would be established. Haggai might not, might not have seen that in this prophecy. But those of us today, we can look at the words of Haggai and we can connect the dots. We can see that God had a glorious future in mind for his people. God is on his throne, isn't he? When we become discouraged and when we find ourselves in the valley of discouragement and despair, remember this, the psalmist said that the Lord reigns. He's sovereign. He's on his throne. He's still in heaven. He's still in control. And Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. God can use the discouragements of life to his glory and to his benefit. And then there was a powerful charge given by God. Look at verse 4, if you would. In verse 4, here's what Haggai the prophet said. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Two things here. First note the specific people that were challenged by Almighty God. God called upon not just the people in general, but the leaders. In other words, God wanted every single person working together in unison, didn't he? If the work is going to be accomplished today, souls are going to be saved, people are going to be encouraged and edified, it's going to take every one of us working. It's going to take all of us. Sometimes we forget that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at verse 20, that there are many members, yet one body. The church is just one body. But within the church, there are many, many members. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the comparison is made to the human body and the various parts of the human body. Every single part of the human body has a purpose, does it not? By the same token, every single member in the body of Christ has a purpose. There's a design whereby all of us can work in unison together for good. God wanted these people to work together, to labor together. Not just the people, but the leaders. The leaders are out front leading the way. And then there are, there are others that are joining hands and working. And then note, if you would, the specific points of this challenge by God. Three times in verse 4, Haggai said, be strong. In order to accomplish the work of God in the church today, it takes a lot of spiritual strength, doesn't it? 
I mean, I think about people getting discouraged. And let me tell you what, all of us get discouraged. Sometimes we, sometimes we have a pity party. We get down and out and we wring our hands and we wonder what the future holds. We've got to rise above being discouraged and be strong. Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The work of God is not for the timid. It's not for the faint of heart. It takes us working together, fortifying ourselves, equipping ourselves with the armor of God and going forward. The military is comprised of men and women who are willing to go to battle. They're willing to go to war. They're well equipped to meet the enemy. If we're going to advance the cause of Christ in the 21st century, then we've got to be well equipped. We've got to be strong. We've got to use the sword of the Spirit to our advantage. Offensively, we take the gospel to all the world. Defensively, we contend earnestly for the faith, once for all delivered according to Jude in Jude 3. So there's the charge, the challenge to be strong. Let me tell you what, if you're not strong in the Lord, the devil will beat you. Not only will he beat you, he'll beat you badly. There are people in the church that were not equipped spiritually. They weren't strong. And they became casualties of war. Do you remember the words of Paul in writing to Timothy when he said, Wage a good warfare, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on life eternal. We're involved in war, spiritual war. Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The cause that we're advancing, the war that we are involved in, is not carnal in nature, but rather it's spiritual. And unless you equip yourself and are willing to stand toe-to-toe with the devil, he'll beat you. He'll beat you up. First, there was the exhortation to be strong. And then, not only, were they were to, not only were they to be strong, but Haggai said, listen to him, and work. Now let that sink in for a minute. God has a work to be accomplished, doesn't he? In Haggai's day, they had become lethargic. The temple had not been completed. So you have God using the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to encourage, to motivate, to be a catalyst, to get these people back working again. The church today needs workers. The song that we sing from time to time, I want to be a worker for the Lord. The Lord's church is a vineyard. And in the vineyard, We are to work. Paul talks about the importance of using our time wisely. He said, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Jesus said in John chapter 9 verse 4, the night comes when no one can work, no man can work. We only have a limited amount of time here upon this earth, don't we? 
The work of the church is an awesome task. I think about the, I think about the words of Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That is a tremendous task. And then I think about how we are to edify, to build up one another in the body of Christ. We are to be people that serve the needs of others, as Paul said in Galatians 6.10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. It might be the case that there are some that need to hear the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 20 at verse 6, when he said, why do you stand here idle all day? And we talk about the work of the church. If the church is going to go forward, if souls are going to be saved, if souls are going to be strengthened, if the needs of people are going to be met, it's going to take every single one of us working together, is it not? The elders can't do it alone. The deacons can't do it by themselves. It takes all of us working together. But we've got to see the church as an institution that that requires our utmost attention. There has to be a sense of urgency to the work at large. And then I want to suggest in the third place that there was a, there was promised care. Listen, if you would, to what the Lord said. Look at verse 4 again. In verse 4, God said, Be strong, you people of the land, says the Lord, and work. Now note, for I am with you says the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 5. He said, According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Two things here. Number one, they would have the presence of God. When we engage in His work, He's not left us alone, but rather He's promised to be with us every step of the way. The Hebrew writer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's going to be with us as we carry out, as we execute his will. You remember the Great Commission? In Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then he said, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Wherever we go, whatever we do, in the name of Christ, the Lord's with us. They had the promise that the Lord would be with them. He would aid them in the accomplishment of the task at hand. Note also what he said. Not only did the Lord promise to be with them, but he instructed them to not fear. Sometimes we are fearful of the task at hand. It might be the case that we're fearful, we're anxious over the work. I think about the words of Jesus in John chapter 6 when he said to the disciples on one occasion, it is I, be not afraid. I want to ask you, if the Lord is with us and he is involved in the work, what do we have to fear? Remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, in nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then there were the provisions of God. 
When God requires specific works to be accomplished or done, is it not the case that he will provide the means for the accomplishment thereof? The psalmist said in Psalm 50, in about verse 12, on behalf of God, God said, the world is mine. And all of its fullness, everything ultimately belongs to God, doesn't it? Look at what Haggai said in verse 8. He's quoting here God. The silver is mine, the gold is mine. Everything belongs to God. God's telling them, get busy, get to work. He's encouraging them. Would he not make sure or ensure that they had the necessary provisions to accomplish their task? Yes. Now think about the task before us. Right here in Olive Branch. We have the responsibility of being a light for God in this community. Every one of us are called upon to be light bearers. You remember what Jesus said? You're the light of the world. He said, he that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There are some, what, seven billion people living in our world. God wants us to do what we can, when we can, where we can, as long as we can. I think about the lady that anointed Jesus with oil. And there were some that chided her for what she had done. And the Lord said, let her alone. She's performed a good work for me. And then he said, she has done what she could. What does God expect from us? That we do what we can. Doesn't matter if we're young or old. If we have money or don't have a lot of money. Doesn't matter if we have a lot of education or little education. God can use us. But he wants us to do what we can. Evangelistically speaking. We have a lot of tools at our disposal. You can have an impact in this community among your friends and family members, your neighbors, your classmates, people that you work with. The printed page is still a strong tool. Give, give your friends and neighbors something to read about the church, about New Testament Christianity. Their CDs available. Give them something to listen to. The radio. We have a radio program. It's broadcast in several states. I'm grateful for that. Again, it's just, it's just a way for us to effectively communicate the gospel to people. Television. I mean, there are so many tools at our disposal. There are lots of ways that we can impact this community for Christ. But we have to see ourselves as important links in that process. There are no big eyes and little U's in the body. We're all important. We just got to work together. 
Do we get discouraged? Yes. Do we become complacent from time to time? Probably so. But when that happens, we've got to somehow get our fire back. We've got to become zealous and industrious for the cause. Jerry and I were talking one day about the work here. And the church here is in no way a finished product. I don't believe that at all. I don't think the elders would say it is. Have we made great gains? Yes, we have. Is there work still to be done? Absolutely. In many respects, we're just getting started. We've got a lot to do. And Jared and I were saying that one day when we're well out of the picture, we don't, we don't want to see the church plateau. We want to see the church on that upward trajectory. We want to see it moving upward. Years from now. And it can. But the only way it can is for all of us to work together pray, to work, to pray, to work. It's a daily grind. The work of the church, not something that can be accomplished in one day. We've got to take the view that we're in this thing for the long haul. And so, in the typical ebb and flow of any work, they're going to be peaks and valleys. But when we hit those valleys, we've got to try to get that fire back and climb the mountain once again. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the work here. We're thankful for our elders and our deacons. We're grateful for our teachers. We're thankful for every person who serves in whatever capacity it may be. We're thankful for those that work daily, whose labors go unnoticed. We give thanks for them. And Father, we pray that you would bless us with the intent to work together, to stay faithful, and to do everything that we can to make this congregation a light for your cause, not just in this community, but around the globe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here tonight and not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? Here's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. Repent, that is turn from a life of sin, as Peter said on Pentecost Day in Acts 2, verse 38. And then to acknowledge with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, just like the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. Be immersed in Christ so that your sins might be washed away, Acts 22, 16. And then be faithful until death and the Lord will crown you. Maybe you're here tonight and... You're a Christian, but your life's not what it ought to be. 
You know, John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why not let us pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing?